Good morning. I'm glad you're here. Or if you're there in the little camera, hello. I'm glad you're there too. Um, as much as, and I don't deny, you know, Pastor Jeremy just shared about sometimes it's a blessing to be able to be forced to stay at home. But, but let me go on record saying I'm done with winter. I'm, I'm, I'm really done with winter. And I'm sorry I, if you're one of the winter people that you just love cold and snow and, and all that, and you say, bring it on. Well, please forgive me and give me grace. But I am done with winter. And, and I'm looking forward to, uh, I, I don't know what the, ground, what the groundhogs say. Six more weeks. I don't put any faith in groundhogs, but, but I'm ready, ready for whenever that beginning of spring comes. I'm ready for it. Anybody with me on that? <laughs> okay. Let, let's start by reading our text. Um, turn to Matthew 17. I want to begin just by introducing Tessa. You're going to know the account as we read it. Um, for those who like to take notes, if you want to cross-reference this, Mark also records this event in Mark 9, uh, verses 2 to 8, and in Luke 9, um, 28 to 36. Okay? If you're there, we'll start at verse 1 of chapter 17 of Matthew. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led him up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good that we're here. If you wish, I'll make three tents here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. This is the last message of the series that we've been involved in called Backstage. And of the accounts that we've looked at so far, and even of compared to other accounts of Jesus' interaction with people and their interaction with him, this is one of the most, if not the most, to me at least, mysterious ones. It, you know, it's like we've been looking at backstage conversations, offline dialogue Jesus had with people and people had with him. And, and, and if, back, if a backstage had a backstage, this would be the story that was the conversation that was in that place. Okay, it's, it's mysterious, it's different. Um, It's like, it's like Jesus pulled back the fabric of the curtain of time and, and gave these three disciples a glimpse into eternity. They, they saw something that no other human being has ever seen. They, they, they saw a vision. They saw not a vision. They saw in, in real time 
the glorified Christ. They, they saw him in, in a way. You, you remember Jesus' um, priestly, priestly prayer in John 17? He's talking to the Father, and, one of the, and you can hear the anticipation in his voice that he's, he's soon coming back to the Father, and he's gonna be, the Father's going to give him back. He's going to retake up the, the glory that he, that he emptied himself of in order to become a human being. And we, we don't really understand what that means, but the disciples saw a glimpse of that. They, they saw just a, a, a few moments of, of what Jesus looks like in, in, that, in that state. Now, you, you've read and you've studied and you've heard other lessons on, out of Old and New Testaments of other Christophanies. That's the theological term of an appearance of Christ. Throughout the Old and New Testament, there are times where, where the Lord appeared to, to men and women. You know, Melchizedek, who appeared to um, Abraham. Um, we have Joshua, before the battle of Jericho, is, is out by himself, and, and the, the captain, the host of the armies of heaven, appears to him. That's a, that's a Christophany. That was an appearance of the Lord um, coming to, appearing before man. Um, the apostle Paul, his Damascus Road experience. There's, there's numerous accounts, but, but none of them compare to this one. None of them compare to what happened on the Mount of Transfiguration. All, all the others were real and, and dramatic and dynamic in themselves, but they were shadowed. None had the clarity of this experience. And so it's worth looking at today. And, and as a result of in our study today, I want to talk about encountering God. Okay, Encountering God. Divine encounters. Humanity experiencing and interacting with divinity. Um, the finite, encountering the infinite. Now that phrase, when you hear encountering God, that sounds very churchy. Um, it, it sounds very supernatural. It sounds very holy. It sounds very majestic. It sounds a little scary, perhaps. And it is. It, it is all of that. But the problem is this. When you, we hear that phrase, encountering the divine, having encounters with God, it shouldn't sound uncommon. It shouldn't count, sound like some special, unique, one-of-a-kind you know, one kind of a things. In, encountering God, as, as I have studied and understand Scripture, encountering God was built into creation itself. Adam and Eve walked with God every day in the cool of the day talked and communed and fellowshiped. Encountering God was, was a daily experience. It was never designed, God never desired or, or created into creation for, for him to be unknown to us, for, him to, for us to not experience him. Throughout Scripture, from the beginning to the end, you'll find a repetitive statement that the Lord makes. I will be your God you will be my people. He created us to encounter him, and he, and he desires to encounter us. So if you, hear, if you hear anything at all today, hear that reality, that God wants to encounter you as you're living this life. See, somehow we've gotten to this place where when we think of encountering God, it's something outside of the normal. That 
we think in terms of, yeah, that, I know that happens, and, and, but it happens at, you know, at conferences or retreats or comp, it happens at, at summer camp, you know, when you go. It happens at, at VBS programs. It happens in these special moments and special times, but they're not common. But we need to remember that God's desire is to dwell with his people, to abide with us. That, that, his, his desire isn't, isn't to visit. His desire isn't that he comes and goes. He makes entrances and exits out of our life. His desire is to be with us. I believe that in encountering the divine, encountering God, shouldn't be uncommon for us. It should be growing as we grow in him more and more common. Now today, granted, we're looking at a, an extraordinary kind of, an account of God's encountering mankind. And I understand that, but I also want, using this text, I want us to realize that, that, that every awareness we have of God, every experience we have in God, every testimony we have in God it is extraordinary. That every interaction that you've ever had with the Lord is supernatural and just as extraordinary as the account we just read. How can we say that, oh yeah, God showed me this, God did this, God, and that not humble us, and that not excite us, that uh, hear the words you're saying, that you as a human being, you know, like David, who, who am I, what is man that you're mindful, that you give us any attention at all? And for a human being to be able to say, God showed me this. God did this for me. God appeared to me in this way or made himself known. That's a phenomenal statement. Do you understand that? Hello. All right. Warm up. Let the icicles fall off. We're in church. God is here. Everything's cool. And you can respond back. All right. So here we go in our text. First, let's pray. Father. Encounter us. Let, let your presence and your Holy Spirit make your word alive to us today. Lord, I, I pray that you speak to every heart, every person who's listening today. Let them hear your word. And Lord, build in us a greater desire to know you more. Amen. Amen. Okay, I'm going to give you five things that I pulled out of the text that hopefully will be helpful. Um, Things about encountering God. Um, So let's just start. Encounters increase according to proximity. Encounters increase according to proximity. Verse 1, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up a mountain. They had one responsibility. It was to walk with him to follow him, to, to stay close to him. Now, when I was reading this text, I found myself asking a question, why Peter, James, and John? They weren't the only disciples. Why, why Peter, James, and John? I know that it's not that Jesus loved them more. That's just not true. And if you've ever had that thought that God loves someone else more than you, you're wrong. Okay? So it's, it's not that reality, 
But yet, as we study scripture, this account and others, God did show them more. God showed them things. Jesus showed them things. Jesus included them in things that he didn't with the others. Why would that be? And I guess I've come up with my own conclusion. And if you have others, that's, that's fine too. But I, I, I think about these, these three disciples. Um, we know Peter. Peter was Peter. You know, he was the, the reactionary one. He was the one who always had the first answer. And it was, in his opinion, always the best answer and the right answer. Um, he was always responding to Jesus. If Jesus asked a question, Peter was there. If Jesus was given an opinion, Peter had an opinion. He, he was that guy. He, he, he was right there with Jesus all the time. Then you have John, who was a little bit of, of the other extreme. John was more the melancholic, but he was always, every time you see Jesus sitting, John's next to him. John, John in his own gospel, refers to himself as the one Jesus loved. Which is a little bold, but it shows his, he, was, he was always leaning against Jesus. And then we have James, maybe not as well known. But James had a passion for God, had a passion for Jesus. James was, a, was zealous and had a great zeal. For, it, James was one of the sons of Zebedee. James was one of the guys whose idea was when they, they went to a Samaritan city and the city didn't want Jesus to come in. And James' solution was he was, he was offended for, uh, for, on Jesus' behalf. And his idea was, hey, let's just call down fire and destroy the city. A little misguided, but, but it shows his passion and his heart for the Lord. I, I'm wondering, I can't help but wonder if, if maybe Jesus picked these three because of their proximity to him. Because they insisted on being so close to Jesus. And this wasn't a, u- a unique time. There were other occasions where Jesus singled out Peter, James, and John. When he went into the house to raise the, the dead girl, Peter, James, and John were there. When he went to Gethsemane, he left the disciples, but he had Peter, James, and John come a distance with him. Be right there. How do we know they were that close? Because we have words of, what, of some of Jesus' prayer. Father, if it be thy will, let this cup pass from me. How, how do we know that? How did Matthew know to record those words that that's what Jesus said? Because Peter, James, and John heard it. Because they were close. And they obviously recounted it to the rest of the disciples. And we have it recorded in Scripture for us today. See, our closeness of our walk creates opportunity for encounter. You understand that? Pretty simple, pretty obvious. Closeness of our walk creates and opens up opportunity for encountering the divine. Listen, if you're far away from someone, it's hard to hear them. It's hard to see what they're doing. It's, it's difficult to, I don't know anyone here ever, you know, be involved in a, in a long distance relationship. Not making judgment. I'm just saying that, in general, they're harder. It's harder. Long-distance relationships are harder. Be- because there's not the closeness. There's, there's things you learn and observe and understand and see about one another the closer you are. And the same is true in our walk with the Lord. If we want to encounter him, we have to walk close. We have to walk close. We have to be and draw up near. He says, if you'll draw near to me, 
I'll draw near to you. There's some initiative we have to take in our own walk with the Lord of staying close and always desiring to be closer because it's, it's in that proximity that we'll be able to see things clearer and better. We'll be able to hear things clearer and better. How about this? Encounters affirm our faith and they elevate our view of Jesus. You know, I, I think as Christians... We have, to, um, we have to guard against thinking of Jesus in terms of being a really good man. Just a really powerful man. Of being too much like us. Now, true, he was 100% humanity. But he was also 100% divinity. It's easier for us to relate to the humanity of Jesus. It's easier for us to identify with him. In fact, Jesus said that he came to show us the Father. And through his humanity and the character, he's able to display and reflect the character and nature of God and the attributes of God so that we can understand God the Father better. But in that understanding, let's never forget that Jesus is God. That Jesus himself is deity. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. And the word became flesh. Took on flesh. The word didn't cease to be God. And we have to remember that. We have to keep reminding ourselves that. Because I think it's easy to just think of Jesus in terms of being a, a really, really good man. A really, really great man. Just a superman, if you would, but a man. And we forget about his divinity. He was just a week earlier in the disciples' lives. They were with Jesus where Peter made that great declaration. If you recall, Jesus asked them, who do, who do men say I am? And they gave answers. And he said, but who do you say I am? And Peter comes up with that beautiful revelation that the Father revealed to him, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. That was just a week earlier. How did, how did Peter come up with that? Well, Jesus told us that God revealed it to him, but Peter had to take hold of it by faith. He, had to, he, he gave it out. He spoke it out by faith. But now we see him a week later on this mountaintop. And he, in verse 2 says that, that Jesus is transfigured before them. What Peter believed by faith, he's now seen in real time. Did you ever believe something for God and then suddenly you've actually had experienced it? Did you ever seek the Lord for something and, and you believed it, that you would lay hold of it by faith? And in the natural, then you actually laid hold of it at some point or you actually saw and touched the thing? That, that's what P Peter's faith is, is rewarded here because he... Jesus is transfigured. It says that he took, he took on, um, his face shined and his, his clothing became the brightest of, of bright whites. And they saw his deity. They saw, they saw what Jesus will look like in the future. They saw what Jesus looks like perhaps seated at the right hand of the throne of God right now, making intercession for us. They, they saw that transfigured. The word... It is mortimorphous, which we get our word mortimorphosis. 
It, it means changed into something more beautiful and elevated. You know, it's, it's the, the caterpillar and the butterfly, that, that change that takes place. And as, as we deepen our walk of faith, I believe we'll see his glory more. I believe faith puts us in a position for God to show us things and reveal things and, and in that elevate and us to an even greater view of who he is. We'll see him even clearer and better as we walk firmly behind him by faith. I also can pull out as our third observation that encounters will always confirm the supremacy of Christ. They'll always confirm the supremacy of Jesus. In verse 3, suddenly Moses and Elijah are there talking with Jesus. If you look at this account in Luke 9, it, it even, he, Luke tells us what they're talking about. They're talking about Jesus' soon departure. They're talking about what's going to happen in Jerusalem. In just a very short period of time, and, and Jesus coming to that point of, of leaving the earth. Um, I think that was probably a very excited conversation. Because we know Jesus' passion to, to return to the Father. We know his passion to complete the work and the mission for which he was sent. For our good and for the Father's glory. And they're, they're speaking about this. Now, again, it makes me ask a question. Why, why Moses and Elijah? I don't think there's anything in the Bible coincidentally or on accident. So there's a reason. There has to be a significance that it's Moses and Elijah. Why not Abraham, the father of all nations? Why not, why not Jacob, who, whose name was changed to Israel, who had you know, the 12 sons, became the 12 tribes? And uh, You can go down the list of, of all the old patriarchs and fathers of our faith. Why Moses and why Elijah? Remember, he, he's giving this, this encounter to three Jewish boys. They, they recognized these two. They, they had a, a, a certain view of Moses and of Elijah. Moses was the lawgiver. Elijah was the prophet of power. And they would have seen these two things. The Old Testament wasn't called the Old Testament to them. It was called the Law and the Prophets. And that's what these two represented. All of everything that's been, Moses and Elijah would represent to these disciples. They would understand in viewing Jesus with Moses and with Elijah, they're seeing Jesus with the Law and the Prophets. And Jesus was making a statement that he was trying to convey that the law and the prophets are wonderful, but I'm more. The law and the prophets have their place, and they're perfect in their own way, but I am greater than them. He's putting himself above the law and the prophets, not equal to them, but the fulfillment of both. Jesus came and he said, I didn't come to abolish the law, but I came to fulfill it. I came to complete it. I came to satisfy the law. All, the, all that law that we couldn't keep on our own, but that, that law that was perfect and, and condemned us. Listen, we're, we're in trouble not because of anything that the devil's fault. We're in trouble because we can't keep God's law. 
If we were able to keep God's law, Jesus wouldn't have had to come. But we're not capable in of ourselves to keep the law of God. And Jesus says, I'm the fulfillment of that law. I came and I kept the law for you so that I can open up a path of redemption, so I can open up a path for you for atonement from the, the guilt that the law condemns you with, even though the law is perfect. He's the satisfaction of the law. And he's also saying, I'm the culmination of all the prophecy. The prophets had their place and they had their assignment. And they spoke of me. I'm the fulfillment of every prophecy ever spoken of me. I am, I'm complete. See, Jesus is, is, is trying to get them to see a different view. Everything that their life was built upon. He's not saying it's, it's, it's wrong. He's saying he's more. He's saying he is, he is greater than. And, you know, I look at our lives, and, and we build our lives um, and, and, and build our faith upon the, the, the word and power of God. And there's nothing wrong with that. There, there's nothing wrong with striving, and we should be reaching for greater understanding. And we should be reaching for greater um, power um, to live this life for the glory of God. But Jesus is reminding us today through his word that he, he stands alone and above everything else. That, that we're to study his word, but to keep reaching for Jesus. We're, we're to seek his power, but keep our eyes fixed on him. Because neither one of those, his word and his power, are not the fulfill, fullness of who he is. You know, the, the Bible you have that we study, that we love, that we we're, we're, we it transforms and changes our life. You know, it's not all who, of who Jesus is. It's only who we need to know during this time. I think we're going to be amazed at heaven when we, we're finally yeah, in that state and, and we see him and realize how much of him we didn't know. We didn't know about. Doesn't, doesn't the Bible say that if everything was recorded of, ever, of all the things that he did and all that he is, there's, there's not enough room in the world to hold the books? He's, he's greater than. We're not dismissing the word of God. Please understand me. I'm not saying don't, don't seek after and study and, and be a student of the word of God. I'm saying yes. But don't ever think that your great intellectual prowess on theology and the word of God and how many scriptures you memorized makes you something. It's only Jesus that makes us anything. It's only Jesus. Keep our eyes fixed and focused on him. Seek his power. He, he is omnipotent. Seek his power. But his displays of power, whatever that's been in your life, however you've seen the power of God manifested in your life, that's not all of who he is. He's more, he's more than that. He's more than that. That's the point he's trying to make. Neither his word or his power is the fulfillment and satisfaction that our lives need. Only Jesus. Only Jesus. Hebrews 12, looking unto the author and finisher of our faith. Doesn't say looking unto the Bible that authored and finished our faith. Doesn't say looking unto divine supernatural manifestations of God's power is, is what began and will finish our faith. Jesus only. 
Jesus only. Come on. The author and finisher of your faith, Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. So keep walking. Just keep walking with him. Keep your eyes on him. Study the Bible. Look and, and trust him to manifest his power and glory in, in the areas of life, but don't get dissuaded by them. Don't get pulled aside by them. Keep your eyes fixed on him and moving forward. Encounters are progressive, but not permanent. Encounters are progressive, but not permanent. Peter, of course, if anyone's going to speak up, it's going to be Peter. And he, he has, sees this unbelievable picture of, of, of Jesus being transfigured before them. And Peter spouts up and, and boy, it's so good that we're here and I have an idea. Let, let, if, you, if it's okay, I'll, I'll build three tents. One for each of you. And, and what he's saying is, hey, we could just hang. This is really cool. This, this is a place I want to be. Yeah, he, he's, he's thinking in life that, and sometimes divine encounters have this, this potential um, danger, is that we think, well, it can't get better than this. It, it, just, it just can't get any better than this. this. This is so enjoyable. This is so real. This is so transformative. This is so enlightening. This is so dynamic. It can't get better than this. And that is so us in our spiritual journey sometimes. One of the reasons we chuckle at Peter is because sometimes we just see ourselves in, in reflected through some of the things that he does out loud. Um, we have a tendency in our spiritual journey, if we're not cautious, to settle in, to find a place in our walk that we like, an experience that we like, or, or some, some place of level ground that we enjoy, and so we even unconsciously, we build a tent. We pitch a tent and say, this is cool. This is great. There's green grass. There's this little bubbling stream. I'm, I'm good. I'm good here. And, and, and we settle in. And what we're doing is we're telling the Lord that this is enough for me. You've, you've shown me enough. I've learned enough. You've done enough. And I don't ever want to come to that place in my walk with the Lord. Where, where I am is enough. See, because if we do that, if we allow that to happen, what we're actually doing is, is we're putting a cap on God's goodness in our life. Because if we, when we settle in at that place, what more can he show us? What, what more can he do for us? What more can he do through us? Because we've settled in. And so this is what, this is what my, my life is going to be. This is what my relationship with Jesus is going to be. It's not necessarily sinful, but it's not growing. It's, it's not dynamic. It's not moving forward. When we settle in to, to that experience, when we settle into to that place, where, wherever that is. You know, I've, I've heard Christians testify that, you know, their best, their be, if your best encounter with God was 10 years ago. It may make a great testimony, but it's not a place you should be living still because there's more. There, there's always more of Jesus. 
And so we don't want to cap the goodness of God. When, when God encounters us, it's always to propel us in our walk, not to pause it. We don't, you never want to hit pause in your Christian journey because Jesus keeps moving. We want to keep moving with him. Do you recall when Jesus is looking over the city and he's weeping? And he said, I would, I would have gathered you. There's so much I would have done for you. There's so much I had to show you and, and to reveal to you. He said, but you would not. You were content where you were. I, I couldn't move you. You would not, and it, and it broke his heart. The Apostle Paul says, listen, you should be teachers in the body of Christ, and instead you're wanting to just be taught again. You should be consuming and chewing on meat, but you want to just drink milk. He's, Paul is saying, man, take your life off pause. Take your walk with Jesus off pause because there's more. And whatever he has shown you, whatever he's taught you, whatever he's done for you in the past is wonderful. And you should celebrate it and you should testify about it, but you shouldn't stay there. You shouldn't settle there. You may have a great story of what Jesus did, and that's wonderful. Tell other people about it, but he's not done writing. Don't put a period where he put a comma. Because he's not done. And if he's not done, you shouldn't be done. Keep moving. Keep walking. You can't stay there. Don't put your faith on pause. Because if you do, here's the caution. Your hunger and thirst for him will dry up. And that's a, that's a terrible place for a Christian to be. To lose our passion for the things of God, our desire for him, to, to lose that, that, that um, motivation and excitement of, of more ground, learning new things, throwing off old things, to come to a point where we just have no spiritual passion or hunger anymore, thirst, is a terrible place. And Jesus wants to revive it. He, he wants to renew it. He wants, he wants that, those, that spring of life to begin to bubble up in your soul again. Pick up your feet and start following him again. Number five, encounters bring clarity to the cloudy. They bring clarity to the cloudy. Verse five says that while, while Peter was still speaking. <laughs> uh, I don't know, have you, ever had, have you ever been telling the Lord something and he interrupts you? Because Peter's spouting this, hey, I'm going to build a tent, this is so wonderful, and, and God just speaks over him. This cloud moves in, and this voice comes from heaven. This is my beloved son, whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. Now, the disciples knew about clouds. Remember, they were just good Jewish boys. They knew about the clouds. They knew about the cloud that, that covered Mount Sinai when Moses went out. They knew about the cloud that, that filled the... The, the tabernacle in the wilderness, the presence and the glory of God. They knew about the cloud that hovered over the tabernacle and moved to give them direction and, and um, when they were to move, when they were to be still. Um, they knew about the cloud that, that, that came to Solomon's temple where, where no, nobody could minister because the glory cloud of God was, was there. They understood. But clouds are mysterious. Clouds are 
cloudy. Um, they appear to have substance, but yet, not really. Uh, did you ever go outside on a real foggy day? You can see it, but you can't touch it. They're a little mysterious. You know, you, you take an airplane ride, and the sky's nice and clear, and then suddenly you see up ahead, you see this, this cloud, and you enter, and now you can't see anything. It's like, you know, being in, in the middle of a, a cotton ball. I don't know. It's just, it's just clouds are, are cloudy, and God speaks from the cloud. You know, he, clouds make it difficult to see, but God speaks, and he says, this is my son. He says, listen to him. Listen to him. Sometimes our, our grasp of God is cloudy because it's such a, it's such a concept. It's such a, a truth, but yet we don't know what to do with that. But then there's Jesus who comes as a man, comes in our likeness, in our form, in our shape. And he says, let me show you God. And suddenly the cloudy starts getting clearer. Suddenly the invisible starts being visible. The cloud moved in and overshadowed them. And, and the Bible says that God, you know, God used to speak to us in a cloudy sort of way. He used to speak to us through the, the fathers of our faith and the prophets. He used to speak to us, but, but you know, he spoke to us through a law that we couldn't keep. He spoke to us through prophetic words that we couldn't fully understand or grasp. But Hebrews goes on and says, but now he speaks through his son, Jesus. What was cloudy isn't anymore. Jesus makes things clear. Jesus makes God clear to us. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He makes God clear to us. Jesus makes the Bible clear to us. Remember on Sermon on the Mount, numerous times when he's teaching and laying the foundation of, of his whole theology as, as Messiah, he says, you've heard it said, but I say. He brings clarity. He brings understanding. He brings levels and layers of, of truth and, and import that bring clarity to life. He makes life clearer. We, we struggle with sometimes with who we are. We struggle with why we are, what we're to do, what we're to be. How, how does this whole thing work? We all have those questions at different times. Jesus has an answer for them. In fact, you will never really know your identity until you know Jesus. You want to know yourself? Forget you. Get to know Jesus. And he'll let you know who you are. He'll tell you who you are. You want to know what to do? Fall in line and walk with him real close. Because he'll direct your steps. Doesn't the wise man say, acknowledge the Lord in all your way? And suddenly your path gets straight. See, Jesus makes life clearer. And for, in the text, the cloudy became clear. They're terrified. They fell on their faces. Jesus speaks. They listen to what he said. He says, don't be afraid. They listen to what he said. And then, so when they opened their eyes, they weren't afraid. And it says that they saw Jesus only. Life became very clear to them. 
what was very cloudy suddenly became very clear. Let me end this. Why? Why does God want to encounter us? Why did he put such a story in Scripture? Why does he direct us to this even type of the possibility of these kinds of interactions with him? Um, I think the answer is just one word for transformation. Because you can't encounter the divine and not be changed. You can't encounter the living God and it not affect your life in some way. It's for transformation. It's so that we can be closer to and more like Jesus. It's so that he can refine us into that, that image and likeness in which he created us for his glory and for the blessings of ourselves and others. Now, if you're a Christian today, you've already experienced the greatest divine encounter that any human, any human being can, which is your salvation. Something that sometimes we put off to the side is, is incidental. And I want to I challenge you, take that off the shelf. Dust it off. Revisit your own salvation. Re- revisit what that moment was and what happened, what transformation, what transaction took place in that moment that Jesus made himself known to you and you chose to believe who he said he was, that, that um, others have resisted that message and, and some still haven't heard it, but you heard the message and you laid hold of it and he saved your life. He forgave your sins. He translated you from a kingdom of darkness to a kingdom of life and he took where you were headed of eternal death and put inside of you instead eternal life. That's an encounter. Anybody thankful for their salvation today? I mean, really, are you thankful for your salvation today? That Jesus saved your soul for eternity. That it doesn't get better. You won't have a better encounter than that. You may have something more dramatic, but you won't have anything more transformative than that moment in your life. You've also had divine encounters that you, you just don't know about yet. I realized when I was working this year, I realized that in, in my own life. I, I have thought, can think back to moments and choices and decisions in my life that in all honesty, my intent and the things that I, I said or did or the actions I was taking or the way I was living should have led to an obvious outcome, and it didn't. There, there were things that the Lord kept me from. Anybody here besides me thankful for the keeping power of God? There are times that God's interacted in your life. You just weren't aware of it. And if you'll take time, and you probably already have, to think back, you'll realize it. You'll realize, you know, why didn't that happen? Why or why did it happen? And you realize the hand of God was working and moving and you were encountering, he was encountering you. You were just oblivious because you weren't looking for him. You weren't worried about him. You weren't considering him. You weren't acknowledging him in all your ways. But aren't you thankful that by his grace, he still encountered you? He still involved himself in your life? Every person here would not be here if he didn't involve himself in our lives. If he didn't intersect our lives, none of us would be here. And my challenge for myself and all of us today is let's let's get better and recognizing everyday encounters. 
See, I mean, this story, granted, this story was, was a little off the charts. But yet, let's use it as a lesson for us that God is a God of encounter. He's a relational God. He wants to be active in our lives. He wants to be connected in our lives. He wants to show himself in our lives. He wants to encounter us, and he wants us to encounter him. And I think we can take maybe that that concept, maybe we need to take it off that top shelf and bring it down into everyday living and say, God, today, let's use Moses' prayer. Today, show me your glory. What's the glory of God? Well, what he showed Moses was goodness. God, show me your goodness in my life today because every day God's good. All the time God's good. And if he's doing anything in your life, it's good. If you don't like it. <laughs> Even if you wish he'd do it a different way. If he's doing it, it's good. Let's recognize those everyday encounters and, and realize that they're not just, you know, fly-by kind. These are, these are interactions that we're having with the divine. You know those times where you, you think of doing something and, and you just have this inner check. You have this inner sense inside of you that says, don't go that way or don't do that or don't choose that. Or do go that way or do choose that. I know you've had those moments, and you can't explain it, and it may be, maybe it's a thought you, wasn't, you know it wasn't your thought. That's the divine. That's God encountering your life. You ever been reading the Bible? Like you always do, and you're just reading the Bible, but then suddenly something comes alive. Suddenly there's an insight. Suddenly there's a, 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 a message. Suddenly something that, and it could be a passage you've read a hundred times before, but suddenly there's new life to it. You're encountering God. And God, by his spirit, is encountering you in that moment. There were times in, in corporate worship where you find that you're just sort of like caught away. Like you know you're in a room and you know it's a time of corporate worship. And there's people around you, but you're in this other place. You're, you're caught away with, in the presence of the Lord. That's a divine encounter. That, that's not just you feeling emotional. There's God is doing something. God is intersecting your life. If for no other reason to say, for him to say, hey, I'm here and I love you. The divine intersects our lives. It could be as simple as you look out your window in the morning or the sunrise or in the evening or the sunset, and you've had those moments where you're just struck by the beauty of it, don't stop at the beauty of it. Because the Bible says the heavens declare. God speaking. You can see God in that. So suddenly, wow, that's pretty, to, oh, God, I thank you. Now that's a divine encounter. God, I recognize you're the creator of the universe and you've shown yourself to me and I just give you praise. That's a divine encounter. You're interacting with the divine God. They happen all around us. If we'll have eyes to see and ears to hear. Which means we have to walk close enough so that we can. Oh my, stand up. Stand up.
love you want to come, sure. I always like music in the background. They're coming off the mountain. Jesus looks at them and he says, don't tell anyone until I'm risen. Don't tell anyone. Um, theologians have given, put out a lot of conjecture of, of why he said that, what the purpose of, of, of giving that instruction. Here's this phenomenal experience. And he says, oh, by the way, until I'm risen from the dead, which the disciples themselves were still struggling with believing and understanding what that meant. Don't tell anyone. So they have to keep this thing themselves. Some, some conjecture is that, well, if they would have shared it with the other disciples, it would actually have been counterproductive because they didn't understand the fullness of what Jesus was doing and saying. And it might have actually created disbelief in them because it was just too out of the box. Some, some say that, well, Jesus told them that because he knew that the temperature and the climate that Jerusalem was going to be and what was going to happen and unfold in the next short number of days. And if Peter, James, and John came down and they started spouting this story and declaring who Jesus is with that kind of force, that they would have become targets. That the Jewish elders would have gone after them just as much. You may come up with your own ideas of, of, of why Jesus would have said that and told them, given that instructions. But all we do know is they obeyed. They obeyed. They, they kept it to themselves until the resurrection. What, what does that say to us? Just, just one thing that I'd add. You're living post-resurrection. You're living after the resurrection. What does that mean? I take it to mean this. Whatever God has done, whatever God has shown you, whatever Jesus has revealed to you, however much you've grown in your understanding of him, everything you've experienced in him up until now, tell everyone. Tell everyone, don't keep it to yourself because Jesus is already risen. He's alive. And the stories you have are the reasons he died and rose so that we could tell, so we can declare his goodness, that we could see that after the resurrection, their testimony was dynamic. Their testimony of this occasion, their encounter with God brought life and encouragement to the rest of the disciples. It, it, it brought um, confirmation of what they were walking through in those, that, those time, that time after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Your testimony, your stories, as you tell them, will bless others, will encourage others, will strengthen others. We need to not keep it to ourselves. So I encourage you this, as we just get ready to pray. This time, this take some time this week and think about this message. Take time this week and, and journal if you're so inclined. Take time and, and just think back. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you see your life from an, an objective place. And try and journal times that you realize 
were divine encounters where you met God in some way or he met you in some special way. First of all, it'll just be a great exercise. It'll give you a wonderful thing to be thankful for. But if we don't rehearse the good things God has done and shown in our lives, then when there could be opportunity to share and encourage somebody with what he's done, we may not remember them. We may not think of them. So it's also preparatory. And it's also doing an exercise that can make us more equipped to expand and share and represent the kingdom of God in the earth, which is our responsibility. So I encourage you to, to do that. What did he say? What did you learn? How has Jesus changed your life? And those stories are unique to you. No one else can tell them. Not with any kind of real power because it's not personal. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. And Lord, I thank you for the unbelievable reality and truth that you interact with us personally. That you come to us individually and you make yourself known. You act on our behalf. You reveal more of who you are to us. You give us instruction and direction. You build us up and you protect us. All the things, God, that only you can do, you do. So, Lord, I pray that you make us a people who are much more sensitive to your movings in our life. Make us much more aware in our own daily living that you are right there. Let us see those things that you do. Let us hear the things that you say. Let's never take for granted or lightly the fact that we serve a God who talks and he desires to talk to us. So Lord, thank you for the challenge of your word today. I pray you seal it inside of our hearts and our minds and our spirits. I, I pray that you have been blessed in our gathering and I pray your people have been edified. So as we go, let your protection follow us. Let your goodness and kindness and mercy follow us. Let your peace surround us and your joy spring up out of us. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. God bless you. I'm glad you're here today. Before you leave, say hi to somebody.